0: Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy. I'm Amy McPhee. All the best. One of the questions I get most often from listeners is, how do you handle all the anger that comes up as you read all of these books and confront all of these issues from patriarchy? And a recent episode that we released in season two dealt with rage, and it got a ton of comments of appreciation and feedback. And I think that learning the history of patriarchy brings up a lot of fury for people, but then we don't know what to do with that anger. And on a personal note, this past week was actually really heavy for me. Someone I care about a lot has experienced abuse throughout her whole life. First as sexual abuse when she was a child and then later verbal and emotional abuse for her entire marriage. And this woman has just been so beaten down and I became enraged that no one has ever been held accountable for what they did to this individual person who's dear to me. And I I ended up venting about my anger to my sister. And then I noticed that immediately after expressing all of that anger, I felt guilty. I felt guilty for being angry and I didn't know what to do with that anger. So a couple of days later in preparation for this episode, I was reading the book, Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up Claim Their Power and Thrive by Dr. Kristen Neff. And I felt like entire chapters of this book were written just for me, explaining how to let ourselves process anger in healthy and productive ways for ourselves and for those around us. So today I am so honored and excited to welcome to the podcast, the author of Fierce Self-Compassion. And she also wrote Self-Compassion, The Proven Power of Being Kind to Yourself. So welcome to the show, Dr. Kristen Neff.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be talking about this issue, yeah. (laughs) Can't
0: wait to dive into this. And first, we'll just start with a little introduction. Kristen Neff is currently an Associate Professor of Educational Psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. She's a pioneer in the field of self-compassion research, conducting the first empirical studies on self-compassion nearly 20 years ago. She's been recognized as one of the most influential researchers in psychology worldwide. She is the author of the best-selling book, which I just mentioned, Self-Compassion. And along with her colleague, Chris Germer, she developed the Mindful Self-Compassion Program, which is taught internationally. And she co-wrote the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook. And her newest book, as I said, I read it this past week. It's amazing. It's called Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. And for more info, and I'll mention this again at the end, go to Self-Compassion. I think it's self-compassion passion.org. Is that right, Dr. Neff? Yes. Okay. Well, fabulous. I'm so excited. And I wonder if we can start off by just having you talk a little bit more about yourself, who you are and what led you to your work.
1: Right. So I I jokingly call myself a self-compassion evangelist because it's really all I do 24-7. I write about it. I give talks about it. I teach workshops. I do research on self-compassion. I teach about it. So I'm at the University of Texas at Austin right now. Well, I'm actually kind of modified. I'm I'm not teaching courses, but I'm still doing research. But yeah, so I'm the self-compassion lady, (laughs) really, to put bluntly. And the reason I'm, I've devoted my life to it is just because of the tremendous difference it makes in our ability to cope with difficult emotions, including things like anger, but also any sort of pain, sadness, upset. So, so passion in the Latin means to suffer, come means with. So it really refers to how are we with our suffering? Are we kind? Are we supportive? Do we treat ourselves with the same like understanding and support we'd showed a good friend we cared about? Or do we beat ourselves up? You know, do we shame ourselves? Do we feel like we're horrible people if we made a mistake? And so really self-compassion means being kind and supportive and not just being judgmental and and beating ourselves up all the time. So I first learned about it, gosh, over 25 years ago now. And I, I was just so impressed by the ability it gave me to deal. I was going through a divorce and it really helped me deal with a lot of difficult feelings I was having. And so then I got the job at, at University of Texas at Austin, and I thought I'd research it. And so did a lot of research search on self-compassion. There's over 4,000 studies now on self-compassion. It's amazing. But more recently, I started realizing that there's there's two faces of self-compassion, what I like to call the tender and the fierce. And most people, when they think of self-compassion, they think of it soft-sided. And self-compassion can be soft. It can be soothing reassuring, nurturing, accepting, kind of like a mother toward her child. You know, we look, hopefully, anyway, if we're compassionate, we love our children unconditionally. We support them. We accept them as they are. But there's also this fierce side that I like to call fierce mama bear self-compassion, right? In other words, it's not just about acceptance. We can accept ourselves, But we don't want to accept all our behaviors if they're causing harm. We certainly don't want to accept all the behaviors of other people if they're causing harm. And we don't want to accept all the situations we find ourselves in if they're unfair or causing harm. So we need to, while accepting ourselves, we also need to take action to try to, you know, prevent harm, to stand up to injustice, to say no, to meet our needs, to motivate change. And so I I started differentiating them just because people weren't really that aware of both sides of self-compassion. So that's that's my latest book. And I, I aim it particularly at women because gender role socialization really basically messes everyone up because men are allowed to be fierce, but not tender. And women are allowed to be tender, but not fierce. And, and it's like yin and yang. We need both of them to be whole. But gender role socialization really makes it hard for us to be whole. So, that, so I wrote the book mainly for women just because Men need a different book. They need like tender self-compassion. How men can harness tenderness to open up to their emotions, be sensitive, be vulnerable and thrive and be slightly different, you know, because the blocks are different. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's
0: fantastic. What a great introduction. And that those were the first two questions I was going to ask you because I was really struck by your yin and yang concept kind of at the beginning of the book. Would you like to talk a little yeah. bit more about that?
1: Yeah, so, you know, Chinese philosophy has really got it right, that there's the yin and yang energy of all things, of all of life. So yin is more the, the soft, the nurturing, traditionally considered more female, but I don't I don't only really like to use the word female because men have this energy too. And yang is more the forceful, active, action-oriented, powerful energy of life. And yin and yang need to be in balance. Right? If we're, if we're too accepting without enough fierceness, we may be complacent. But if we're too fierce or aggressive, you know, without enough tenderness, well, then we might lead to, you know, harming other people or harming ourselves. So they do really need to be in balance. But like I said, so gender role socialization makes it very hard for them to be in balance. I mean, if you look at gender role stereotypes, they've barely budged the last 30 years. Men are still instinctively, we don't like believe this cognitively, but we instinctively feel they're more competent, they're more active, they're more agentic women are more, you know, passive, soft, nurturing. It's still very strong and it still shapes the way we see the world. That's why we kind of have to make these things conscious so that we aren't so limited by them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. my I have three daughters and a son and my daughters, one especially, always talks about she doesn't like any trait to be labeled as masculine or feminine. She's like, why can't we just call them like yellow or green or whatever? And I like to, we talk about it just being a toolbox that all human beings should have access to all the tools that help in different exactly. situations. This situation calls for this trait. we don't need to label it a man's trait or a woman's trait, but it it just calls for different
1: right and and every unique individual will express yeah. these qualities in their own unique way, and that's how it should be. We shouldn't be put into a box you know whether you're transgender or cisgender, you know you might have a a transgender woman who's actually quite young or fierce, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's really just each individual person expresses these things in their own unique way, and that's the way it should be for authenticity. Yeah. At least that's what I think.
0: (laughs) I I happen to agree with you. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, so let's dive more into the gender, because at the beginning, I thought, oh, this is a book I need for sure. But I did not expect that it would be so much about patriarchy and that it would be so aligned with a lot of the work that I do and just in conversation with a lot of the books that we've read on the podcast. Maybe we can just start with a general question. What led you to your research specifically about patriarchy?
1: Right. Well, so I've always been interested in patriarchy and gender inequality. And my, you know, my dissertation research was reasoning about rights and responsibilities in the context of Indian family life, i.e. patriarchy. Right, and I was really interested in the fact that even though it's a very patriarchal culture, the woman didn't agree with it. Right, so people say Indian morality is duty based. Well, there's duties for women, there's rights for men. But the really interesting thing is the women—they say, okay, we go along with it. We we feel we have no choice, but we don't think it's fair. So I've always really been interested in power inequality and patriarchy and how that shapes people's judgments and actions. And then with the self-compassion work, what I started realizing. And kind of when you opened it, you started talking about anger, and it's it's all tied together is this gendering of fierceness and tenderness is intentional by patriarchy i mean it's not like one person sat there and wrote it all out, but it serves the function in patriarchy people who are raised to be men are the ones who go out and make the money. They're the ones who have the power. They're the ones who are competent. There's one, one who makes decisions. The women are kind of supposed to be soft and accepting and nurturing and likable, which means basically they go along with their oppression. <laughs> so the whole thing is, it empowers men, it disempowers women. And even things like tenderness, right? You would think that women would have more self-compassion than men. It's the opposite. Because women are supposed to be self-sacrificing. They're supposed to be tender toward their husbands or their children, but they're, you know, not themselves because they're always putting other people first. Well, who does that benefit if women are always putting other people first? Not not women, right? And so just I've always been interested in these. And, you know, I've done research on gender and self-compassion. And then if you really want to know what happened, the Me Too movement hit. And I have my own experience with the Me Too movement. So when I want to close to me turned out to be this horrible predator. And I was just struck by a lot of the women, how hard they had, what a hard time they had getting angry or speaking up about it. And, you know, well, people just wanted to kind of let it pass because it was easier to, but it's also because they were raised to. People don't like it when women, and I spoke up and people didn't like me for it, but I didn't care if people liked me for it because I had self-compassion. And so, again, just realizing how gender role socialization, which tells women not to speak up, not to get angry, you know, just to kind of go with the flow, focus on other people, how really that disempowers women and contributes to injustice. And it also harms men, by the way. Men are really harmed by the fact that they, they have to ascribe to these gender roles, which make them emotionally cut off and, you know, shut down. It doesn't help anyone.
0: No, No, certainly not. And I've noticed too, sometimes women, and you talk about this in your book, that if we're not able to process our frustration with our subjugation, (laughs) that it often bottles up. Yeah. And then if, yeah, if we're not processing those feelings, then it like explodes at kind of inappropriate moments that we haven't planned. And you provide some anecdotes of, you know, people who have told you stories about this. Like I didn't recognize myself. I was like a monster. I don't know what happened, but it explodes sometimes at the wrong guy. Like he's not the one who invented patriarchy or he's not even the one who's contributed, but it just kind of sometimes comes out at men. Mm -hmm. And so in that way too, I feel like sometimes men are like, why is everyone so mad at me? And it just is a mess
1: for it, for all involved. So in order to write this book, because I was framing it in the background of patriarchy, because of the fact that women are women's fierce side tends to be suppressed, I did a lot of reading on sexism and theories of sexism, theories of patriarchy. And there's consensus that there are basically three different forms of sexism, right? The, the most obvious is hostile sexism. These are people who are misogynists, who put women down, who are, you know, think women are the lesser sex, or, you know, some some of the people who are just really anti-woman, even harbor some hatred toward them would be hostile sexism. There's not that many people who are open about it, although more than you might expect, actually, these days. And then there's something called benevolent sexism. And this is the sexism that's harder to see. This is the sexism that actually a lot of women ascribe to because they're socialized to, which is Oh, they're just different. There's role complementarity. You know, men are the strong ones, and women are the sweet, nurturing ones, and the kind of on the surface glorify women. They're my better half. They're the sweet ones. They're self-sacrificing. They're you know they're more sensitive. They're more noble. But that's what allows women to buy into their subjugation, right? It's like okay, well, and also you know things like okay, then if you pay for me. And you, you know, support me, well, I guess I'm getting a good deal, even though, of course, the fact that I'm not allowed to earn this is this is in the past, right? Of course, the oh, fact it's... that I'm not a- allowed to earn my, my own money. <laughs> well, yeah, you say in the past, women couldn't work, they couldn't go to college, they couldn't, you know, own their property, they didn't own their own money. And so this this whole system developed to make women think that, well, they're being taken care of and we honor women and so this role was offered to women and it was a way that women could gain some self-esteem, feel worthy, feel noble, but it was very limited because they could only do it one way. And so nowadays it's, so the classic was like Phyllis Slothley, right? You know, which yep. is, she's passed. So was, did you see that great movie, Mrs. America? It was about yeah. her. So a lot of my listeners are actually have backgrounds in conservative
0: religion. So in some like bubbles, it's still very much yeah. 50 years ago. So I come from the Mormon tradition. Yeah. So everything that you just described about women being discouraged from even working outside the home and being passive yeah. and being the supporters, that's current today yes. for a lot of people that I know personally. So, yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, and know There's them.
1: nothing wrong with role complementarity if people intentionally choose it. Right. And and I know some people, like high-powered women whose husbands stay at home and you know take care of the house and take care of the kids. So if people want to do, you know, we're gonna do role division, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But it should be your authentic free choice, not because you're forced into it. Right. You should, yeah. it should be something you want to do, not something you feel like you have to do or that you have no other choices. Yes. And one of the problems with that as well is because of role complementarity. If you look at in the workplace, it's considered, it's traditionally masculine and the roles are masculine. So women are forced to act like a traditional man in order to get ahead in the workplace, which is, which is not good for anyone because a lot of the skills associated with the traditional feminine role, like you know, interpersonal skill, being more understanding, facilitating compromise and communication, those have actually shown to be more effective in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we do this role specialization harms harms everyone because it limits the amount of choices we have to get the job done, right? But anyway, so that's one form of sexism. Modern sexism is basically the claim that sexism doesn't exist. You know, oh, look, women are going to graduate school more than men are. They're going to you know getting they're getting more college degrees therefore no sexism exists anymore. it's equal some some that's like modern racism as well oh it's equal it's already equal there's nothing to complain about mm-hmm. and that actually stands in the way of you know, it's the same with racism and sexism a lot of these isms are subconscious what happens is we all grew up watching these movies getting these images, having these subconscious understandings of what men are like and what women are like. And these are unconscious filters that bias everything we perceive. So this research, for instance, that shows if two people look at two exact resumes, one from someone named Steve and one from someone named Susan, they have the same qualifications, they're going to assume, if it's kind of vague, that Steve is more competent and more qualified and should get more money for the job. Now, if it's made really explicit that Susan's also very, very qualified, what's interesting is they dislike Susan because she's so qualified. There's still this perception that a really competent woman must not be very feminine or nurturing, and therefore we don't really like her because she must be a, you know, the B word or something like that. And you can see that in politics. The so women who are really competent, they're disliked because people assume that you can't be you know, communal and agentic at the same time. And, mm-hmm. and again, this, this really does harm everyone. Men who are sensitive or family men or, or who are kind of like open, they get ridiculed as well and they can't succeed as much. So sexism still exists and it's really often at the level of how we, the filters we put on things, we don't even know that are there. And that's why it's so important to call attention to it, including mm-hmm. things like anger, Or women feeling like they shouldn't speak up because it's unfeminine, unladylike to do it. That means that not only are we harming ourselves, it means people don't get the benefit of our really often very useful opinions, (laughs) you know?
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay, let's take it in that direction too, because I'd love you to talk specifically about anger as it pertains to women specifically.
1: Right. And so, and I'm not talking from someone who's an anger management expert. I'm actually talking as someone who gets angry pretty easily. And if you knew my mother, you'd understand it's part of our genes, right? My (laughs) my anger trigger is fairly, you know, the the tripwire is pretty sensitive. And what had happened is for many years, I, you know, I kind of tried to accept my anger, but it was something I was a little bit ashamed of. You know, here I am, a meditation teacher who gets angry, you know, and then, feeling that this is a part of myself that I needed to work on. Didn't really embrace it as part of myself until I had this situation where someone I knew and was close to turned out to be a sex predator, was doing really awful things with his employees. And I got really angry about it. And a lot of the women involved didn't get angry about it. They couldn't access their anger. And I really started realizing how anger is so useful. Anger is necessary in order to get things done, in order to focus our attention, in order to allow us to, to spur us toward action, to speak up, to do something, to make some change. And that's when I thought about mama bear, right? This is part of the mother role as well. If if someone insults my child or like gets tries to harm in some way, watch out, I'm going to be furious. And that fury, that anger, that rage is actually an evolved emotion. It evolved for a specific reason, that when there's some harm or danger, and you can also consider some sort of really unjust situation as a danger, our natural reaction is to get angry. It does many good things. It focuses us on the problem, it energizes us, it allows us to be brave, and it communicates that something is wrong, both to ourselves and other people. Those are real gifts. So anger is not a problem in and of itself. In fact, if we don't get angry, and the fact that women aren't allowed to get angry because it's not seen as ladylike, that's actually again <laughs> part of the, the part of the system. Part, of the, you know, of course, if we don't get angry, we aren't going to get angry at how we're treated or in, get angry at injustice. Having said that. Anger can be constructive or destructive, right? And of course, we want it to be constructive and not destructive. And the, and the difference is actually quite simple. It's simple to describe. It's less simple to do that granted. granted mm-hmm. So sometimes we, you know, we can't do it. But in terms of theoretically, the difference, destructive anger harms people. Constructive anger protects people, right? So protecting your children is constructive anger. It's, using, it's serving a good purpose. The difference between also constructive and destructive anger is constructive anger isn't personal. You're not aimed at a person. You aren't blaming a person. You're focused on the threat. This is unjust. This situation or this behavior is a problem. I'm angry at the behavior. I'm angry at the situation. At the same time, I realize that the person causing the situation or doing the behavior is still a human being. Mm -hmm destructive anger is very personal it's like it's like aimed at you because you're a bad person it's like insulting it's aggressive it's threatening and when it when it becomes personal then it's it's more destructive right because you're harming the person as a as opposed to just preventing harm also constructive anger isn't ego reactive it's not like my feelings have been harmed it's just that this situation is unfair and needs to be stopped a destructive anger often tends to be ego defensive it's kind of reactive it's not very clear so those are kind of the, the basic differences between constructive and destructive anger oh also there's there's more clarity and this is the hard part mm. <laughs> with in order to have constructive anger we have to have some sort of clarity we need some, some mindfulness or some perspective so that we can see the situation clearly with destructive anger what happens is we often just get into a white rage we get carried away by our emotions. There's no perspective where we can even make the choice of how to express this sentiment. That is it going to be in a constructive or destructive way, and and that is difficult. And so again, I'm like I say, I'm not really good at it. I'm very good at apologizing. I'm getting better at it over time, but I tend to be reactive just by my my wiring. So but you know I have something to work toward and I'm getting better you know and I can kind of see the big difference for me when this whole me too movement situation happened and I was really the only one who like took charge and spoke up and I kind of closed this guy's center down as I I got down and prayed to my anger thank you thank you for making me brave and I realized that that same energy leads to my kind of get angry sometimes is also the thing that's driven me to accomplish so much in my life It's, it's actually a good thing yes we want to harness it that's why it's called how to harness kindness we want to harness it we don't want it we don't want it to control us we want to try to direct it in a useful way but that energy is actually a beautiful thing and if we suppress it we're like suppressing our life force energy you know, it's like a vol- volcanic force. We want to harness it to create ther- thermodynamic electricity as opposed <laughs> to just exploding everywhere if we can.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Okay. Could you walk us through then like a scenario? So specifically you could take one from your life or one of the ones that you wrote about in the book where let's say in real time you're in a situation, someone does something harmful Right. And so how what would you say in the moment? What could you do that harnesses that mama bear, whether it's to protect someone else or to protect yourself and say that is not right, but in a way that respects their humanity, allows them to grow. So holds them accountable while still being kind. How do you do it?
1: Yeah. So one of the tricky things is when people are just in the presence of anger, they react, even if it's not directed at Mm -hmm. them. And so you can't totally control other people's reactions, but what you can do is make sure it's not personal, that you aren't using you statements. You aren't saying you are doing this, you are wrong. You can use I statements, you know, I'm I'm upset. Um, I don't feel good about this. This situation is causing me problems. You no, know, again, certainly nothing insulting or uh, really just avoiding all you statements if possible, just focusing on behaviors, just focusing on situations. I say no quite firmly. If you can control that, it, and it, it can be hard. And by the way, not, like I say not everyone reacts well to it. They, they just want you to be sweet and nice and happy. Mm-hmm. But if you're sweet and nice and happy, then you'll never be able to stand up for yourself. Mm-hmm. So you need to be able to try you know, try to be as polite as possible. Try to use things that help acknowledge your humanity. You know, I understand that from your point of view, such and such. I, I can see the situation for you is difficult. When you do that, you're humanizing the person, but this is how it's landing for me, and this is why I'm really having you know difficulty with this. So the more you can do that, the better. The more you can humanize the other person, while still just standing really firm about this is not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, fantastic. You know, that, I know that's one that's one way to do that. It's, it's really about if trying to keep the humanity of the person while while still drawing your clear boundary about the situation or the behavior.
0: Mm-hmm. I, so I just finished my master's thesis and it was on the civil rights movement. So I did a lot of reading on the, ni- oh. the nonviolence, the philosophy of nonviolence. And this is exactly what that yes. is, right?
1: Yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, that's, that's, what I, that's where I'm drawing this from, right? The, mm-hmm. So Martin Luther King or Gandhi, it's not like they didn't get angry at injustice. Of course they did. If you aren't so angry, mean. you're probably asleep. Yep. The anger like wakes us up, but how you express it makes a difference. And mm-hmm. some people are more skillful than others. I actually don't count myself as particularly skillful. I'm okay sometimes, but I, I've seen it done. And I know with the more skillful I am, the better it goes. But that someone's anger is actually not helpful to anyone. Because then also the other people, they don't they don't get called to the mat about their behavior and they're going to keep on doing it. And a lot of people, especially when you point out the, their humanity, when you acknowledge their humanity, you know, most people don't want to harm others, right? Most people, I believe in my experience, not everyone, but most people are pretty good. And there's usually a situational factor that has led them to act the way they've acted. So if you can acknowledge that, then it gives them more chance to to make a change. Mm -hmm. it is beautiful in terms of boundary drawing a really important thing especially for a woman is not caring whether or not people like you (laughs) because they do like you better if you say yes that is not an illusion they really would prefer that you subordinate yourself to them and do everything they want to do and they may not like you as much so that's where self-compassion comes in your worth has to be intrinsic it's like well Be great if you like me, but if you don't, that's okay too. What's really important is that I respect myself, that I like myself, that I am going to make decisions that are authentic for me. You know, and then your true friends will like you, but the ones who are just want want to use you or get something out of you, they may like you a little less, and they may turn to someone else, and that's okay.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's so hard. That is so much easier said than done, don't you think? Especially in close relationships. It is easier said than done, but I
1: I tell you, self compassion really helps mm -hmm. because what self compassion is at its core is a recognition of your intrinsic worth and your intrinsic rights as a human being, right? So you don't need other people to like you to be worthy. You don't need to succeed. You don't need to get it right to be worthy. Your worthiness is an intrinsic feature of being a human being, right? And then and your own attitude toward yourself, your own respect, your own kindness, your own support, your own acceptance is actually the one that's going to be most powerful. And again, it doesn't mean that we don't want other people to like us or that we don't care about other people. Of course we do. But our worth can't be contingent on it. Because once it becomes contingent, then we start making decisions that aren't true for us. And then we maybe we say yes and we get burnt out or, you know, we, we compromise in a way that somehow damages our integrity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm specifically thinking about the anecdote that you wrote about a mother and a daughter. And I think the mother would often make comments about her adult daughter's parenting. So the grandchild and this the adult oh, right, daughter right. would just, right? Uh, yeah, she would just get so yeah, yeah. upset at her mom, but not say anything. And then I may, maybe it was at like Thanksgiving dinner that she just like, rawr, right. like <laughs> lost it, <laughs> swore at her mom at the yeah, dinner yeah. table, and then learned yeah, how to yeah. just next time her mom did it, say... It's not appropriate for you to talk about my parenting that way. So she, she harnessed the mama bear energy for herself and said, no one can, you can't talk to me like that. And that's harming our relationship. And I thought, oh boy, it's just so helpful to have that spelled out. Because again, I think in, sometimes it's, I guess, I guess there are different hard things doing it with an, you know, with an institution or with a boss or with your mom or with your spouse. Like there's different hard things about each situation, but sometimes it's those intimate, relationships, especially if you've established a pattern in the relationship and then you change to stand right. up for yourself. Oh boy. It can be hard yeah. to tolerate that that change in the dynamic, right?
1: Yeah. No, it, it can. It can be hard for everyone. And I think the more explaining you do, the more you really get honored the other person's humanity, honor the, the fact that they want to do what's right. They actually you know, want to have a good relationship. They don't want to Overstep boundaries, they're probably not realizing what they're doing and the impact they have on you. Then, you know, it just again, it's still going to be messy, but it's a lot more workable. But the other approach, which is just to bottle it, usually doesn't work either, right? Because then you just Mm -hmm. end up exploding at some point. Or the relationship, you just distance yourself from someone and then you can't be intimate with them. It's very hard to be intimate if you aren't authentic. Mm -hmm. Authenticity and intimacy go hand in hand.
0: Oof. Yeah, this is high level, high level stuff. I mean, and and again, it's harder to implement, but so important. Another kind of visual image that I took away from the book was the Hindu goddess Kali. Yeah. Yes, can you tell us about her?
1: Yeah, so she's it's interesting because a lot of the metaphors we have for these kind of powerful sources of rage are actually feminine, whether it's mama bear or in Hinduism, it's Kali. So she is considered a goddess of destruction, and if you look at pictures of her, she's always she has many arms and she's holding a bunch of severed heads and At first, it just seems like, "Oh my God, this is horrible!" But then when you understand metaphorically, the head she's severing is the ego right and then so that rage is actually a force to see through illusion to see through the illusion of our separation. we think we're also separate when in fact, we're really part of a larger whole. And so this is actually a force for good, but when it's targeted, right? So you might say, if she cuts through the illusion of separation, when anger dehumanizes others, you're creating more separation. So Mm -hmm. if anger can be harnessed in a way to create connection, now, again, it is is difficult. So I'm not going to pretend it's not. And again, people react to just the physical presence of anger. Often they get frightened. And so the more you're able to, speak in a way that doesn't frighten other people which is you know mm-hmm. you can have anger there but kind of control just firmness the better everyone reacts again it, it is hard to do mm-hmm. but so she's actually i actually got a, a image of her and put her over my meditation cushion because i realized that for me i needed to s- stop shaming myself for my anger and also the more we allow ourselves to feel it internally the more we accept it the more we allow it to flow as an energy in our body as opposed to trying to bottle it or cork it actually the more it can dissipate and and process so then we do have more of a chance to speak in a way that's not so infused with anger that you know that people get scared Mm -hmm. but it really has to start with us i believe and really saying thank you so much, anger, for trying to protect me and, and standing up for me and giving me energy and giving me courage. I really appreciate you. Yeah. And then it's not; it's a little easier to work with it as opposed to having it overtake you.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Another chapter that really struck me was on equality in the workplace, and I was specifically like really humbled when I realized my own internalized sexism. You talked earlier about how, you know, if you see a resume, for example, two identical resumes, one has a man's name, one has a woman's name. You talked about how we perceive the man's resume as that he's more competent and qualified for the job and more likable. And there was a specific piece, like maybe a more specific study that talked about women being self-promoting versus men being self-promoting. And I was really struck when you pointed out that when a woman is self-promoting, for example, if she says like, hey, I'm doing this workshop, sign up, it's this much money, or hey, my book was just mentioned in the New York Times, isn't that fun and exciting? So she says something that celebrates her own accomplishment, that women are harder on that woman than men are. And I thought like, I'm guilty. I think I'm guilty of that. I- And I wondered why I really sat with that for a long time, why I have a very visceral negative reaction when I feel like a woman and I'm trying to figure out like what is the line because I can really rejoice with my friends for their accomplishments. I don't get jealous really, but it kind of there's a threshold that it crosses and then suddenly I hate it and I don't know why, but I'm really glad that you pointed it out so I can work with it in myself. I wasn't proud of that at all.
1: Yeah, well, the thing is, we don't we don't choose to have these biases, right? We internalize them unconsciously from all the movies we watch from all the books we've read just a lifetime of, of getting this from the larger culture. So really good thing to do is just ask yourself, would I react the same way if this were a man? Mm -hmm. Maybe you would, you know, it's not always gender, but sometimes you wouldn't. And so again what's happening is because we have these idealized images of what a man's supposed to be like and what a woman's supposed to be like. So and again these are subconscious. But the man is smart, competent, aggressive, go-getter, competitive, you know, wins has that winning spirit, very agentic, gets things done. And the woman is self-sacrificing, she's nurturing, she's warm, she's sweet, she's a great mother, she just always puts other people first. These are idealized images, right? And then so when a woman shows qualities that are associated with the idealized man, we think, oh, she's like a man, she's not like a woman. <laughs> so I don't mm-hmm. like her as much because, you know, if she's self-promoting, then she, certainly she can't be self-sacrificing. know. Mm-hmm. And with men, it's kind of the opposite. With men, it's not so much that we dislike self sacrificing men, but we don't like weak men. And because women are supposed to be the weaker sex, any man, you know, the word sissy, for instance, which is a real insult, you're like a girl, do it like a girl. Like a girl is an insult because they're weaker, they have less status in society. And that's really why we don't like men who show more traditionally female traits. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing's really messed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, it really- so you just have to question it. You know, would I be upset if it were a man? Would I be upset if it were a woman? Is anything really a problem here? Or is it just because somehow it's triggering some idealized subconscious stereotypes of mine? And, and right. women are just as strong. If anything, they're worse offenders. Because in a way, subconsciously you think, well, my book wasn't mentioned in the New York Times. Hmm. Uh Maybe that threatens my ego. But I'm such a good mother. I'm not writing a book because I'm, you know, all all this stuff goes on unconsciously. So we're kind of threatened as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking that exact same
0: thing is, I think sometimes people get threatened by people who don't keep the rules. And and when women are conditioned and socialized to be self-sacrificing, maybe maybe I had a dream of being a doctor, but I was told like, well, that's not compatible with family life. So I thought, well, I'm going to be noble. I'll sacrifice. I'll either like not get an education at all, or maybe I'll do something totally different. I made that sacrifice. And then if I see a woman who doesn't keep that rule and they didn't make that sacrifice and they go ahead and be a doctor and then they're promoting their career and they're going for it, I think that's I, that's what I've observed sometimes in, in female relationships is yeah. women who really kind of like have that bottled up resentment. So they think, well, then all of you have mm-hmm. to do this too. We all have to jump off this cliff together, or it's not fair. It's not fair for you to do that. And so it really right. pits yeah, women against each other
1: sometimes, right? We get yeah, exactly. Bitter. Well, the good thing about the research, though, is that if you integrate, Yes, it's a, it's a woman named Joan Hastings calls it gender judo. In other words, if you try to show both, so a woman who's maybe really competent, maybe she talks about, yeah, my, my work got mentioned in the New York Times, isn't that great? But then also intentionally does something more traditionally nurturing, like, how's your family? Tell me about it or something uh-huh. like that. Then people, because what's happening is then that that the more traditionally feminine role isn't being so threatened. So, oh, she, are, she also has that side, then I can like her. Mm Mhm. So that's one way, no men don't have to do that. We like Mm -hmm. men (laughs) we like men either way. We don't like men who are traditionally feminine and have no masculinity, but is that is that true? Yeah, that's true. But women especially benefit from having both in balance and displaying it. So that's one thing. If you are a kind of go getting woman, that if you integrate both, it does help what's called backlash that's the term for it and other people don't like you because you're breaking gender stereotypes Mm -hmm. it helps if you try to display both publicly Mm -hmm. put effort into it yeah
0: Okay. So one last question while we're on this about women in the workplace, but I think this applies really broadly in lots of different situations. You talk about having a strong back and a soft front, which I also thought that was just lovely. Such a good, helpful image. And then you listed a few things, a few kind of strategies for when we find ourselves in situations where... A man, a person who does happen to be a man, so it's a patriarchal situation, does something that is still, unfortunately, kind of a typical power move that he, uh, and I do really try to give the benefit of the doubt. That's really important to me. So I'm thinking, let's say I'm in a meeting at work or a class at, at school or whatever, and the classic thing where I say an idea and it doesn't get acknowledged. And then two minutes later, a man says it, claims that, you know, that it was his thought, claims that the origin of the idea, and then it gets praised and then it takes off. And I'm sitting there going like, just burning inside going like, do I say something and seem like a jerk or just do I sit here? And then that's being complicit. What do we do in a situation like that, that shows fierceness, but also compassion and kindness.
1: Yeah, that's great. And so just to acknowledge that the phrase soft front, strong back is Joan Halifax. And then the woman who talks about, she's got a great term for it. It's Jessica. I'm I'm blanking on her back. Blame, the last name right now, but she calls it the bro creator. Yes, yes. It's a man who appropriates one's <laughs> idea. Yeah, yeah. and that the way she can work that you absolutely need to speak up, but you can say, oh, so glad you liked my idea. That's wonderful that you all you know, so basically- see instead of saying hey you stole my idea you can say oh i'm so glad you all like my idea thank you for for validating that john or whatever So time to to, to kind of go with the flow Uh, Mm -hmm. also the the man the man terrupters the other one the bro creator and the man interrupter that women get interrupted a lot more often Mm -hmm. you know you you can actually but you you need to speak up because if you don't speak up you will just get bold over but mm-hmm. you can do it in a way that's kind of friendly or funny or positive as opposed to just super confrontational so that people um you know there's less backlash when you do it that way but we have to speak up not just for ourselves but for everyone else mm-hmm. because if we don't speak up it will keep on going it's like the me too movement a man can't get away with it now Um, I mean, some do, but it's a lot harder for men to get away with, you know, sexual harassment and abuse in the workplace than it used to be because there are real consequences. And if women had not been willing to stand up and say we are not going to take this anymore, things would still be the same. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we, for each other, we really need to speak up. Mm -hmm. We can make change. Yes,
0: absolutely. I and I've been so pleased the past year with a few different pieces of media: the movie *The Duel* with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon talking about, it takes place in the Middle Ages, but it's about sexual assault. And it shows from all different people's point of view. And then The Morning Show, which was a series where, I don't know if you you saw it, but watching Steve Carell's character in that, and and listeners, if you haven't seen it, it's really worth watching because watching Steve Carell's character go from, and sorry, this is a, a spoiler, but He does a a really horrific sexual assault, and he really didn't think he did. At the beginning, he really didn't see anything wrong with his behavior, precisely to your point, Kristen, about that if you don't call people to the mat, if you don't call people to account, they can go on sometimes really not realizing they've done anything wrong. And so if we speak up, it can change that individual and it can change the culture. And there's a really meaningful arc in that show where he realizes the impact that he made. And so I'm just so gratified and pleased to see that the cultural conversation is happening and that that story right. is popping up in lots of different avenues to call men to account and say, hey, you know, the way your dad did it, I'm really happy to see that progress being made right in front of our eyes.
1: Yeah, I was I was actually, believe it or not, at a meditation retreat and the teacher showed a film. It, was, it wasn't a silent retreat and didn't even realize in the film the women were just arm candy. It was all about the men. The women had very tiny roles and they were only the sexy love objects. No, and I actually froze, froze my hand in front of the whole group. And I said, did you realize that movie? It was an older movie, but still had demeaning you know, images of women. No, I didn't even notice. And so, you know, you have to be brave. And I had so many people come up to me and say, thank you so much for saying something. No one to say anything. It was the teacher's favorite movie, but he wouldn't have even realized if I hadn't pointed it out. Mm -hmm. So, and you can say it, and I I said it very nicely and kindly and not in a confrontational way. Otherwise nothing will change. So I agree.
0: Well, Dr. Kristen Neff, I am so grateful for the time that you spent with us today. I learned so much. Again, for listeners, Dr. Neff's book is called Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. I can't recommend it highly enough. And just so grateful that you joined us on Breaking Down Patriarchy today. Thanks so much.
1: Thanks so much. It's been a lot of fun. Once more,
0: I'd like to thank Dr. Kristen Neff for speaking with me and for encouraging all of us to speak up for ourselves and for others, doing so with authenticity and self-compassion. I hope all of us can keep Dr. Neff's guidance in mind as we reflect on all we've learned over this past year and start to look forward to the new year ahead. Before I go, I'd also like to thank Sam Rose Preminger for our production, Brianna Jovan for our editing, and Lindsay Alabest for our social media. And to our listeners, thank you too, as always, for being with us. And finally, to help us wrap up this season of personal stories, interviews, and essays, I'll be joined by our own Sam Rose Preminger to reflect on all of the incredible content that our contributors have shared and to provide listeners with kind of a TLDR recap of the season. So make sure you check out this bonus episode airing at the end of this week and get yourselves all up to date on the Breaking Down Patriarchy Project because starting next week, we will be launching season three. All of this next time on Breaking Down Patriarchy.